So the weather's getting a lot warmer. Uh, it's still pretty windy. There's the weather report. Alright, so uh, a few episodes back, I did an episode about the guys from kindoffunny.com because I had this weird dream that I went on vacation with them. And it was this nice little weird feeling of community that I had in this dream that was just nice. Nice feeling. So I had a kind of similar dream last night, except it was about going to a wrestling show. So I've been going to live wrestling lately, and uh, on my Smarkamania podcast, we always review the live shows. And it's a great way to just get a bunch of people to come out and go to a thing, and it's super cool. And particularly this wrestling we go to in Toronto, it's this thing called Super Kicked that just started. And it's really cool. It's like punk rock style. Cool lighting, cool venue, cool people that run it. The whole thing is like way cool. It's not like the boring high school gym, super lame indie wrestling. But I had this weird dream last night. I mean, the whole thing really didn't make sense. I was, I knew I was at a wrestling show somehow, but we were outside. It was nighttime. It reminded me of this little place, the Tannery in Fredericton, where I come from. It's just like this little outdoor court sort of place. But even though we were outside and there didn't seem to be any wrestling ring around, when people would come through, like tag teams and stuff, like their music would play. This one tag team went by and I was like, oh, those guys are cool, I like their cool music, and I don't, I don't know who they were, but in the dream they were like my favorites, and I thought they were so like awesome. I don't know, I just woke up in a good mood. It's like, ah, that was cool. I don't know what that was, but that was cool. So that made me think how I've been putting aside little uh, stories from wrestlers that I've heard from different podcasts. I was going to wait till I had seven, because, you know, I was doing the seven thing in this podcast. But instead, I'm going to do it right now because I feel in the mood. I have five. Five stories is fine. Five is plenty. So I think these are mostly from Colt Cabana's podcast. He's this guy who kind of blazed the trail. He's an indie wrestler. Kind of blazed the trail of wrestling podcasts. He started his before everybody else. And there's a whole ton of cool different people on his show. And then uh, some of them I think are from Jericho's podcast. Chris Jericho, Canadian wrestler. I think this first one is from his podcast. So, uh, number one, this is a guy named Christian. His real name's Jason. And uh, he was in a tag team called Edge and Christian. And back when I started watching wrestling in 2000, Edge and Christian were my favorites. I went through a lot of different favorite wrestlers throughout the years, but that they were the first team that I was just like, oh, these guys rule. And I found out they're Canadian. Everyone's Canadian, man. Fuck. <laughs> like, seriously, like, I think most of the wrestlers in this episode even are going to end up being Canadian. Just because there's, for whatever reason, there are a shit ton of Canadian wrestlers. So yeah, Christian, uh, as far as I know, I don't know that there's been an official announcement, but I believe he's retired now. He's in his early 40s. Uh, Edge had to retire some years back because of neck problems. It's a tough, tough life, man. Tough job. But this story is about when Christian first started and uh, when he first got his job as a wrestler for WWF and he was trying to uh, basically he'd been dodging his uh, collections guy so this is the story of not having to dodge the collections guy anymore started doing just some odd jobs here and there while I was trying to to make ends meet 
so I had a payment plan, obviously, for my student loan. You know, the the payments started going up and up, and I didn't really understand mm-hmm. at this point. You know, interest and all these yeah, sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. That didn't. I didn't. Banking I terms. Yeah, I couldn't comprehend that at the time. So I called them up and was like, "Hey, you know, these payments keep going up, and I, you know, I can't afford it." And they're like, "Well, this is the reason why, and this is how it's set up." And I was like, "Well, if you leave it here, I can pay you. Mm-hmm. But if you keep moving up, I'm not going to be able to. <laughs> so if you do it this way, at least you're getting something." Yeah. And like, no, sorry, that's not how it works. And I was like. So they just kept bumping up, and I, I was like, I'm just going to stop paying it. You know, I, just, yeah. I can't afford it. What are you going to do, right? Yeah, so sure enough, they pass it along to a collection agency. And, um, <laughs> you know, I would get calls here and there, and, they, you know, it was better part of a year. They would call me, and then I would kind of explain to them what happened, and then they told me all the things that were going to happen to me, and I was like, okay, you know, I have nothing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're right. thinking you're going to get from me, you know? And yeah. so finally, after four or five uh, collection agents, this one guy called me, and and uh, I'll never forget his name. His name was Snooks. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds shady. At least until he referred to himself. And, yeah. Uh, so he um, he called me and he's like, yeah, you know, your file's been passed around the office for like a year. And everyone's kind of, you know, given up. And because, but I'm going to get you. Like, oh, I was like, like I was, it was some, like you know, Bookman from Seinfeld. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, cool, whatever. <laughs> so like, he's just like, so we get, he'd call me weekly and we'd get uh-huh. in arguments and either, you know, he'd hang up on me or I'd hang up on him and. So somehow, I don't know, I guess he did some digging or something, but he found out that I was a wrestler. You know? Oh. Yeah. And, uh, or an inspiring wrestler. And he called me up and he was talking to me, did you get a job yet? And I was like, well, you know, I'm still doing these odd jobs and whatever. But he goes, so I hear you're a wrestler. I was like, well, yeah, how'd you hear that? And he's like, uh, <laughs> he goes, I got my sources. You know, he's, like, he's, uh, he's already taking this too seriously. So <laughs> I was like, all right. He goes, well, obviously you're not very good. <laughs> or else you'd you know, be able to pay your loans back. Yeah, it's like, well, I said, you know, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's like anything you have to, you know. <laughs> no, he's insulting you. Yeah, he's insulting me. So he's like, well, you know, you're not going to make it, obviously. So why don't you just, you know, suck it up, be a man, <laughs> you know, quit this, you know, dream you have and go get a job like every other normal person and pay back your debts. And I was like, <laughs> I said, I intend on paying back every penny, you know, just yeah. when, but I'm not going to give up on, <laughs> right. on, on my, my goals here. Just, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. so I'm not going to let you bully me. Yeah, Snooks. Yeah. So we got into it and, you know, that, that. Continued on for another five or six months until, you know, I ended up signing with WWE. And uh, uh, and then, you know, uh, when I got a few checks uh, in the mail, <laughs> they were a little bit more than I'd ever made before. So I called old Snooks up, and this is the first time I'd ever called him, so I think he was a little thrown off. And he's like, oh, what are you calling me for? <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, I got a job. I was just wondering, you know, how much, what's it going to take for me to clear this up? Yeah. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> Well, we can set up a payment plan and this. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> How much is it going to take me to pay it off one shot, one yeah. check? And he's like, you have that kind of money? I was like, well, I do now. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, well, if you don't mind me asking, where'd you get a job? I was like, um, WWE. I don't know. You might have heard it. The highest rated <laughs> yeah. show on uh, cable television. This complete silence on the other end. Oh, sorry. And before this, he had said to me they had a nickname for me going around the the uh, the office and it was no future Riso no yeah that was that was my my nickname and then he's just quiet I was like yeah so much for that no future theory huh and then he's just like uh. I was like so just tell me the amount he's like well this is the amount I said no problem you'll have a check next week I said oh and by the way you know next month we actually have a show in Toronto I'm gonna send a couple uh, tickets to you. you got you can come watch me perform <laughs> and I, and he's just like I said hey 
I said, you know what, though? I'm sure we won't ever talk again, but I just wanted to let you know when you're sitting in your cubicle and driving your Pinto, I'll be retired by the time I'm 40. Have a great life. And I hung up on it. <laughs> 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 but here uh, I am, 40, and I'm not retired. So. Yeah, but if it wasn't for Snooks, <laughs> yeah. he gave you the motivation yeah. to make it. So, yeah. Snooks, if you're yeah. listening, yeah. F you and thank you <laughs> yeah. at the same time. All right, sticking with the Canadian theme. So this is a guy named Kevin Steen who just got signed to WWF, which is now known as WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. And I didn't really know him until he got signed. His new ring name is Kevin Owens. They always give people a different name, you know, for merchandising reasons and stuff. They want to keep the copyright. But his real name's Kevin Steen, and uh, I started looking him up since then because he's been really great. In WWE, he's in their developmental show. And this guy has like a really great reputation on the indies. Him and this other guy, Sami Zayn, that are both from Montreal. Both kind of came up together, got kind of famous together. And now they finally, after all these years, are both in WWE together. It's pretty cool. It's weird too, these guys that are like the new hires in WWE, but they've been wrestling for, you know, like 14 years. Like, a lot of them are about my age. They're in their, like, early, mid-30s. But I guess you still got, you know, you still got 10 years in you, <laughs> even at that point, if you're lucky. But it does seem weird. It's like, I know they have the 14 years of experience strung up behind them, but what a weird thought. Like, really? Could I be a wrestler? <laughs> you know, like, of course not, but... It's not uh, necessarily out of the question just because of my age. Just back in 2000 when I started watching wrestling, if I had started becoming a wrestler back then, but I had no conception of, I don't know, just even the basic fact that everybody has the same muscles, you know? Everyone has them, you can build them up. It's not that weird. I just kind of really, seems weird to say, but I didn't know that. I was like, oh, yeah, but no, but I'm a skinny guy. I'm just a skinny little comic book reading guy. Everyone is. Everyone was. This guy coming up next, Cesaro, he says that a lot of these guys are like, yeah, I was just real skinny, skinny little guy. Not that I really wanted to become a wrestler. Not realistic. And there is, you know, limits to what your physical body can actually achieve. But anyway, I'm rambling. So this guy, Kevin Steen, is from Maryville, Quebec. And he was hardcore French, like, didn't know how to speak English. And uh, this is just the quick little story about how he learned English from watching wrestling. I've been doing the independent wrestling yes. a, a long time now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, you, you, you eventually hear about these guys from different places and... Uh, you know, even even as a wrestling fan, you know, you hear about the guys from the different regions. I had never heard of anybody mm-hmm. ever coming out of Montreal. Yeah. Uh, and so, obviously, you know, you and Generico were kind of the first ones to really make that break. But I, I do want to know, getting into wrestling. It all started when I was 11 years old. My dad rented a tape of WrestleMania, I want to say 11, which had uh, Bam Bam Bigelow against Lawrence Taylor. Sure. But yeah, the know. match before that was Shawn Michaels versus Diesel, which... If you watch it now, it's abysmal. Is that a real word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. Something people need to know about me is uh, I'm originally French, and you're, you're aware of that, but maybe the people listening to the podcast aren't. Sometimes I'll say a word in English and for some reason completely butcher it, but only one word in like a whole sentence. 
And then people look at me weird, and I'll just keep talking just so that, you know, it doesn't get ruined. But if it happens, please forgive me. Or don't. I mean, suck li- it. And listen how great your uh, – and I will suck it. Thank you. Listen how great your uh, your English is. Your your original language is, is French-Canadian. Yes, and uh, something that uh, Sean Devari gets a huge kick out of. Oh, me too. Yes, but is I that Devary. I was taught English basically by none other than Jim Ross, good old JR, meaning that uh, I did not really speak a word of English until fourth grade. When I started watching wrestling, I was in third grade. And then by fourth grade, I could speak English. Because I just watching wrestling in English every week. And I swear to God, I, I remember the moment that I realized wrestling was teaching me English is I was doing some, uh, at lunch, uh, at school, some like, I don't know, some trivia team bullshit. And uh, they asked, what is, and of course the question was, uh, quel est le mot pour code en anglais, which means what is the word for elbow in English. And um, I searched my little brain, and I remember that when guys would drop elbows on each other, Jim Ross would say elbow. Wow. And I raised my little hand, and the teacher said, yes, Kevin? And I said, elbow? And she said, yes. And in my mind, I swear, I said to myself, Jim Ross is teaching me English. And then it just kept going, except... Uh, Soon I realized that his English might not have been completely accurate because people would look at me really weird when I'd use slobber knocker <laughs> in everyday conversation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I think actually I did that for years until, like, Beef Wellington, another IWS wrestler, told me, like, you know that's not a word like, that well, people so like, use. Grown up, you're a grown-up saying slobber knocker. I was, like, 16. <laughs> but the thing is I never got to speak English. Like, from 11 to 15, I knew I could speak English. At least I could understand it perfectly, but I never really got to speak Perfect. Perfect. perfectly. Perfectly. Only from watching Jim Ross. I swear. And friends. Soon after, soon after Jim <laughs> Ross came friends. And Ross, Rachel, Joey, Phoebe, Chandler, and uh, the other one I forgot, Monica, all taught me English. But, um, yeah. So, but then when I was 16, I joined the wrestling school, Jock, and that's where I, I met English speaking wrestlers and that's why i started using my english and then that's when they revealed to me that uh coming down the aisle and slobber knocker and stumping a mud hole were not uh proper english coming to use. Down the, is that like if you see a friend i like one time i think i was in the ring and um somebody was coming through the entrance like through the door and i just said oh here's dylan coming down the aisle and they exploded and laughed you were in the ring or you're just i was in the ring oh, just wait yeah yeah like a training okay, he was okay. coming through the door just to <laughs> to me i don't know it's <laughs> like they'll never say coming through the door so yeah and uh well we sidetracked now what was i saying it all started when i was 11 my dad rented that tape and i saw Shawn michaels wrestle All right, clip number three. This is a guy named Antonio Cesaro, but his real name is Claudio, Claudio Castellanetti, something like that. Yet another guy made his name on the indies, made his way to WWE. This interview was from back when he was still on the indies. And he is a Swiss wrestler, one of the very, very few, because it's just really hard to find wrestling schools in that area. You really got to jump through a lot of hoops, so not many people do. And then even of those that do, not many people stick it out, not many people make it. It's pretty much just him. And he is excellent. Man, he is a good wrestler. Which, you know, people get uh, really caught up a lot on, like, isn't wrestling fake? And it's like, well, I don't know, is ballet fake? Is burlesque fake? (laughs) Is, you know... 
Is being an Olympic gymnast fake? Is being a, a figure skater fake? Like, these are all athletic disciplines, you know? It's very obvious in wrestling when someone is good at it. Like, it is a... You know, it's not a real fight. <laughs> it's not a real competition. It's a show. It's two people working together rather than apart, but it's still really tough and really brutal and you can really get hurt. But it's also really evident when someone's good at it. And this guy is super good at it. So this is just the story about him getting his green card and get it going to America and uh, kind of just in general, making his way through the system. And uh, it's just like, you know, a weird, crazy story. It kind of reminds me of when people talk about Hollywood and like, how did you break in? How did you get to be a screenwriter or a director or whatever? And they always say there is no one path. Everyone takes a different path. Everyone finds a different way to maneuver themselves through the gauntlet and then once someone finds a way through, that hole gets patched, you know? It's like, okay, that guy got through this way. Don't let anyone else through. Now the next guy has to find a new way through, you know? Like they always say, it's kind of... It's interesting to hear these stories, but they're not really valuable except in the sense of uh, general inspiration as far as actual hard information everybody's story is weird and different everyone has a different weird path in life and this story is a great example of that just uh this is uh these are all the weird circumstances and things that had to happen for old Cesaro to make his way from Switzerland all the way to America Let's go back to your uh, your early days. You mentioned growing up in Switzerland. How do you become a wrestling fan in Switzerland? Is there? A, I don't. I think I've only been there maybe once or twice. Doesn't seem like it's the hugest thing. Or no, it was when um, what was that the the wrestling boom in probably would that be like ninety four ninety five, mm -hmm. which was actually not a Hulkamania boom. It was the when it was Bret Hart was maybe Bret right? Hart. Yeah. yeah, it was when uh, Bret Hart and the Steiners and the Quebecers mm -hmm. and uh, you know although. I always say Steins and Quebecers in the same line because that was the few when he came on TV. I think it was on from 10 to 11, mm -hmm. which is very late for me to stay up. But I, you know, <laughs> once a week, I, I was... I was. And where in Switzerland did you grow up? Uh, in uh, Lucerne. Lucerne, gotcha. Yes. Great city. Uh, yeah, Love it. Beautiful city. Yes, in I wrote a big story about it in my new book. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was like the new thing, you know, it's like, oh, from, you know, like from America, which is mm -hmm. cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, WWF at that time. And then, uh, so I watched it and the big feud... You know, it was obviously Bret Hart, and then but one of the big tag feuds, and I was just a big tag team wrestling fan at that point, was the Steiners against the Quebecers. And I thought that was great, you know, and then, you know, I was a big fan of Papa Shango. Uh, <laughs> You're the only one, I well, think. Well, <laughs> you know, because like, it was just like he was crazy, and uh, crazy as a like, completely off the wall character that made exactly. his eyes bleed. And would always, I always tell this story, and actually, um, the German. Uh, WWE announcer has been with the company for about 25 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. Ever since WWE oh, really? on German TV, he has been announcing for us. And 
So I listened to him growing up, and I finally met him, you know, when when I went there for promotion and stuff. <laughs> and I was like, you know, one of my favorite things you ever said is that uh, Papa Shango's voodoo only works on WWE superstars that are in the ring. It does not translate to the TV. <laughs> What's so, his name, the guy? Uh, Carson Schaeffer. <laughs> That's great. And like, because <laughs> in Germany, they're very, very strict about, um, you know, like, um, what is it called? Like anti-violence laws mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So like, they could not talk. He told me at one point when he, when he got on TV, that was later when I got back into it, they were not allowed to talk about the match. They were only a, t uh, allowed to talk about the storylines around it oh, and wow. the characters oh. because they didn't want him to promote violence. Okay. So it was like, I'm like, <laughs> that's a really big challenge as an announcer like don't talk about the match like like don't yeah. talk about what happens in the match just around like yeah don't promote violence when you're watching the match yeah, yeah. and it's like it, it's very hard you know because uh, obviously wrestling is not something that's uh, you know like ingrained in the culture like it is here mm -hmm. so you know people you know just sometimes throw it away as like oh it's just you know, yeah yeah just fake or whatever they good, say you yeah know? so um, but you know, that's how I got into it. And then, you know, with, the, with the, the pictures and the trading cards, and then it kind of got taken off TV. So I kind of forgot about it for mm -hmm. a couple of years. And then it got back on TV when I was like 18, 19. Um, so so where did you was, get started? That was right. I got started when I was 20 years old. In Switzerland? Uh, in Germany. Okay. Well, I started in Switzerland because that was right when the internet became popular. Mm -hmm. And it was doing the, the attitude there, like right around 2000. Mm -hmm. When every, everything started to, um, you just start. Yeah, I just started. You, I started in 99, basically, end yeah. of 99, yeah. Yeah, that, that was like the big, um, I remember watching it on TV when it was like mm -hmm. the big, like, oh, like. The big countdown was, debut. Yeah, the big <laughs> countdown debut, and that was like when just the internet was like, you know, with the yeah. modem, and it was like, you knew, <laughs> you knew it was going to happen, you just didn't really know when. Yeah. So, like, that's the other thing when we like, the big thing is not sometimes it's just the anticipation of when it's going mm -hmm. to happen and like you knew like oh Jericho's not he doesn't been on WWE trying to put two and two together yeah <laughs> when is he going to be on WWE and then like it's like you know I watch that and then I found there was like a couple of guys who um, founded a wrestling club mm -hmm. which is essentially uh, what you had to be to rent the the local gym okay. for a night. Oh, so you had to have a club. Yeah, you had to have a club. Official so, club. So like, it was like, oh, you know, wrestling, Swiss Wrestling Federation, you know, like, in, <laughs> it was like an hour from me and I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I want to try that. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. You know, and I walk in there and it's just a bunch of guys like me who are like, you know, try to do what they saw on TV. And then <laughs> body slam. Yeah. Like body slam. And they had like the, the small, thin blue mats, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, but there was one guy who came with them um, uh, Dory Funk before and he's been over to the States like you know two or three times and trained with him and uh, he wrestled all around uh, mm -hmm. Europe and he kind of knew what he was doing uh, his name was uh, Siggy the Swiss Tank at, <laughs> at that point <laughs> and uh, you know I just kind of like he showed me like uh, how to do like uh, a headlock a wrist lock and a hammer lock I think that was pretty much <laughs> That's it, it. Right. and I knew how to bump uh, which I learned on the thin blue mat which you learn pretty quick because yeah. if you're doing it wrong you know you don't want to take too many exactly <laughs> but at that point I was eager to take uh, yeah. know, a lot of them I was like oh, right, this right. is great and then he was kind of like well um, if you want to like, be in a ring or train in a ring you need to come to Germany because there's nothing in Switzerland mm -hmm. and um, uh, he was like, well, we're having a show or I'm founding a promotion, you know, like whatever it was, their own promotion. Yeah. So it was like, I'm starting this new promotion. Uh, it's on like Christmas Eve, like, mm -hmm. you know, December 24th, which is like, I guess the only time they can get the building or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and in Europe, we celebrate Christmas usually on Christmas Eve, not on the Christmas. Day. Oh, okay. So like Chris, like the 24th is like the big day of Christmas. So 
But I was like, well, I'm going to go and uh, train in the ring on Christmas, essentially. And um, I traveled with him to Germany and trained uh, in the ring, which actually got set up in this uh, death metal club in Ooh. Essen, Germany. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, which was great because in the afternoon I set up the ring, trained, and then in the evening it was awesome because uh, I guess some people didn't show up, so I was allowed to have my first match. And then the ring announcer and referee, uh, you know, had like what would that be like 110 degree fever mm -hmm. and was puking so i ended up uh, refereeing and ring announcing as well <laughs> wow everything that same night yeah who, 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 was, who was your first match against uh, siggy the swiss oh siggy the swiss course, tank. yeah and you were claudio castagnoli yeah i was uh, i was claudio castagnoli at that yeah. time yeah, so. <laughs> so i mean I, but, you know i was doing a little research because i'm a pretty uh pretty responsible journalist now yeah. um you got to the states fairly early on which is interesting because a lot of guys in europe basically they just bop around Europe for you know a long time, but you came really early on to the states in your career. Yeah, I came like about four and a half years in, and uh, what happened is I came to the states to train a few times, mm -hmm. and like uh, uh, Chris Hero at that time, he was less casual mm -hmm. owner than NXT for a bit, um, was like, "Hey, why don't you come to the U.S. and you know?" Was he over in Europe over and here. met you in yeah, Europe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He was. Um, he came to Europe a couple of times and we had like a training camp. And gotcha. I just tried to learn from you know like mm -hmm. anybody. I was like, oh, he's he's awesome. Yeah. Like, Training with him, you know. Yeah. And we became kind of friends, you know. And he was like, why don't you, you know, come over here and live over here and be resident? I'm like, well, I need to have a, a visa. I can't just mm -hmm. come over here and be illegal, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, so uh, I found out that there's something called the green card lottery where they give away a hundred thousand green cards every year. I don't know if that's still the case. Really? Yes, they do. And so I was like, all right, how do I apply for it? So I applied for it and I went through like an agency because it's so much paperwork. I didn't. Well, and I'm sure there's probably like millions of people that want to get one. Yeah, that's the thing. So I was like, okay, they were like, okay, what we do for you, you know, like you pay a certain amount and then you just submit your name and your passport or whatever. And then once you get selected, then you fill out the paperwork. Wow. Because apparently nobody ever gets selected. So <laughs> don't even bother with the paperwork. Yeah. So I get, you know, I file in and I think it's like in, in April or something like that. It's the, when they like, draw the lottery yeah so i get a month about the you know a month later uh, i get i get a message like all right you got selected for further uh, to the next round now you have to fill out the paperwork and i was just kind of like oh yeah i guess everybody gets selected but i just started <laughs> filling out my paperwork and everything and then i talked to some people in, in the company i work for and they were like really i've been applying for eight years and i've wow. never got through you know so so um, it really is like winning the lottery like a one in lottery. You know, i think i had um they said I had a 1 in 25 chance to get through the first and then a 1 in 20 to get through on the second round. Oh, okay. But I think it's the chances are smaller than that. Yeah, it would seem that way. smaller. Yeah, it would seem that um, But, well, so a very small percentage. I get through the first and then it's like, okay, uh, fill out everything, you know, like mother's maiden name. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, like uh, you have to have like certain either a job in the US or money saved up you need to have like a complete physical with every single <laughs> wow. thing and then you have to go I had to go to the US embassy uh, which which was awesome because like that was the first time you pull up with your car you know and they stop you and they have like the rolling mirror that they look on <laughs> yeah, the right. car and everything right and post 9-11 yeah exactly you just walk in there and it's like <laughs> so they just look at it and they're like Okay, and they just gave it to me, and I was like, I was legit. I was like, I drove out of the embassy, and I just kind of stopped, and I was like, like looking at my papers, and I'm like, is that really it? Like, <laughs> and you've I, got a green card. Is, is that I can I can go now, right? I guess I 
I kind of have to now, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was it, wow, was, it was really cool. And then um, I went to work and I quit the next Monday, <laughs> which was awesome because I think I was going to get a promotion. But, but that's, that's uh, I mean, so unbelievable, you know, to talk about fate that you actually get a green card before you even come to the WWE. I mean, that's one of the, what's one of the things that I always had going for me is I was born in the States, mm -hmm. but my parents are Canadian, so I grew up yeah. in Canada, but I didn't need a visa to come to the States. I could go work wherever I wanted to. Yeah. But I, I know, I mean, you, you worked every promotion. I mean, the, the, the list, the, your, your career bio is Okay, clip number four. This is a dude. His indie name was Pac. Or Pac. His real name is Benjamin, I believe. But he goes by the name Adrian Neville right now, and he's also in WWE. Most of these guys, like, uh, so they've started this thing relatively recently with WWE where they have their big shows, their big pay per views, and their big Monday Night Raw. But they have this little show called NXT that's only an hour a week that you can stream through their little, like, uh, WWE network service. And that is, like, their developmental territory where they always have these things where, like, they send you to just go practice wrestling and get better at it before you're on TV. It's just now they've turned it into its own little, like, TV show. And it's really good. It's really good. It's really cool to see all these new guys and doing all this new cool stuff. So this guy, Adrian Neville, he was champ there for a long ass time, like almost a year I think. But he's one of these guys, unbelievable in the ring. He does the craziest moves you've ever seen. These like corkscrew 540 splash off the top rope, insane stuff, like just crazy. Like you need a level of physical intelligence that's just off the charts to be able to consistently do these things. It's fucking nuts. But that doesn't necessarily translate to uh, verbal charisma, you know? He's a little rough on the mic. He's a little mumbly. Sometimes he's okay, but he's never great. And sometimes he's terrible at it. <laughs> so, so this, again, is an interview with him from before he kind of hit the big time. And the whole interview was kind of... Uh, like, Colt Cabana's a really good interviewer. He's really good at drawing stories out of people and making people comfortable. But this whole interview was quite stilted and stiff. And it wasn't until after the interview was done and they were like, all right, that's done, that's fine. But then they kept talking and then they turned the recorder back on because then they started talking about why the interview was so stiff and why it was so sort of awkward. And Adrian Neville starts talking about how uncomfortable he is with opening up and with sharing and talking about himself. And I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, that's all I ever do is these podcasts about myself. I really, uh, you know, especially in my younger years, like, it was a big struggle. Like, it's really tough to just be expressive and to be open. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, and the more you do it, the better it is. Where at this point, there's a lot of stuff I can take for granted. Like, I just don't mind expressing what's going on with me and it's very very helpful and I'm glad I've gone down this path but I can understand how people just get caught just get caught wanting to be quiet and silent and not talk about themselves but it's much much worse way to live ultimately I think no good comes of it and any times I have had problems with people it's usually pretty easy to tie it back to you know just some 
lack of communication, some communication breakdown, something I hadn't sorted out enough to be able to talk to somebody about, or just something I didn't try to talk to somebody about. Fuck. Jesus Christ wind. Yeah, I definitely... And it frustrates me very much when people won't communicate. Man, I hate that so much. It's like even people that I don't get along with, if they try to drop me a line and want to try to talk, I would never say no. Never. But a lot of people do. A lot of people are just like, I'll just cut, just cut things off. Nope, let's just not talk anymore. It's like, ugh. Are you kidding? Is this really making your life better? Has this ever really made your life better? I give a thumbs down to that method of dealing with interpersonal relationships because it is not dealing with them. That's not really what it is. So here's Adrian Neville's little story. Okay, so we, we just... We, Pac, we just closed on this interview, and then we've, been, we've all been kind of chit-chatting and, and talking. Uh-huh. And self-realization... Self-realization. Realizations. Uh-huh. Right away, you start talking. Yeah. Was that okay? What should I do? Holy shit, maybe this, maybe that. Yep. Well, that's my thing, Colt, you know. I've got this kind of rejection complex, you know, I'm... Um, I fear failure. That's kind of my thing, you know. And that's kind of what holds me back in a lot of aspects of my life, you know, especially professionally. Well, we so, I mean, I think it's so important that we were just like, we were just like, okay, you have no Facebook for anybody. You have no, and it's like you have, no one could get a hold of you. Yep. And I like almost, I don't know if it was together, but we're just talking, and you're like, I just have this fear, fear of failure. Yeah. And that was going to between us, but I, I think it's important that 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 people. No, you're a fucking real human being with with real feelings, and this is a real thing. Yeah, and it's understandable. So you're saying, well, you you were saying like if people get a hold of me, they'll have me on a card, and what if I fuck up, right? Yeah. 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 Well, well, I guess before this podcast, when you suggested the idea of podcast, like uh, you know that kind of alarm bells rang. You know, I've got to speak fluently to the world, and what if I sound like an asshole, or a, uh, what if I sound dumb? You know, it was. It was intimidating, and I guess it, I guess it comes down to this this rejection, this failure complex. I don't want to, and that, that, again, that, that's why I don't maybe push myself in a lot of aspects of my career because I'm so scared of being rejected. I guess, but that's that, that's only being a human, right? A lot I, of, I think uh, I, I think. Do you did you think you were the only? I mean, I guess you're asking me. I, I mean, listen, I have amazing fears, and I talked about fear in women, and I don't think it's necessarily. For me, it's almost not wrestling anymore because I'm in a good place in my career right now. Yeah. But you are too. But yep. that's because you've – do you feel because you've hid yourself from the chance of being rejected? To a certain extent, I think so. I mean you talk about your complacency and you're, you feel safe in, in Dragon Gate USA. I, f- I, feel, I feel like I've got a spot there, you know. Right. And I don't want to rock the boat because I have a job. You know what I'm saying? If I go somewhere else and fail, where does that leave me? professionally you know so is it is the is it fear is it professionally or is it like uh is it emotionally do you do you feel like if you were to not succeed you would your your mind would explode or something you know it's not like i'm a fucking doctor i don't know i'm just i'm I'm really interested i think i think it's sorry I i think it's professionally um in the sense that Right now I have a job and I love this job and I'm so fortunate to have a full-time job. Like I said, in this economic climate, there's not a lot of 
independent guys who can say they make a good living off wrestling. And right now, I do. So it's it's if I go elsewhere or rock the boat, so to speak, and try somewhere else, and it doesn't work, or it, I fail at doing that, I'm left with nothing, and I'm left without a career. You right. know, and to, to to go from this job that I love and I'm so passionate about to nothing back to a nine to five. Like, how does someone deal with that? You know mm. what I'm saying? And so I, I once, I remember, I think, where was the last WrestleMania at? Uh, Atlanta. It, it, was it Atlanta? Yeah. And I, and I came up to you, I was like, hey, do you want to go to the WWE? And I was like, I, I can, you know, it's not like I have these giant contracts, but I can, I think you would be a person there. Do you remember this conversation? I do. It was in, a, was it in, what was the restaurant called? Shake, shake and stick. Shake and stick, yeah. Yeah. So I say that to you. What goes through your mind? Is it not positivity? It's it's obviously absolutely. I'm absolutely flattered that you'd think that of me. But at the same time, I'm so nervous of the the prospect of. of do you start thinking now? I got to do a tryout. Now they'll hate me. Now is that? Uh, what's I, one? I, what's what's like one and two? Is it? I guess the first thing I think about is the worst possible outcome. Right. And that's that's just how my brain works. You know, I don't... I, again, it, through my career, I started with very little confidence and I've built it up over time. And now I feel like I'm I'm a confident person as far as in the ring concerned and as far as I feel like I, I, I'm good at my job, if that makes sense. But at the same time, going to a new, to a new environment where nobody knows me and uh, pe- people could hate me you know and, that, <laughs> and then where does that leave me you know right but you're such a risk taker in the ring and it seems like you're not a risk taker almost in life huh yeah is that being a pussy no i i think but what i think is great is that we just kind of had this conversation and it seemed to me like you had a real i don't know and i don't know like going forth from this point on do you think well, you change or do you think you just hold your guns because you might just hold your guns well and do you want to change or do you oh i absolutely want to change and I'll, I mentioned to you after the podcast, it almost felt like a, a pivotal point in in maybe my career because, again, I said before the podcast, you you approached me with the idea, and all of a sudden alarm bells rang. I was nervous, my heart started beating, but then we did it, and I felt, especially in the second half of the podcast, I got very comfortable. And and once it was done, I I, I don't want to. I almost felt not euphoric, but a very uplifting feeling that mm. I'd done it and I'd achieved it and it was very satisfying. <laughs> and then you mentioned maybe, you know, think about getting a Twitter or think about promoting yourself like that. And I thought, you know, maybe maybe you're right. And to, to have an influence like yourself who's who's almost created this, this media empire for yourself in the pro wrestling business, it's, you know, to have that influence on me, it's it's important. So, but it should be more than a... I, I think the, the, and the whole point of this podcast is really... It's more than a career breakthrough, and if you say that, I, I can't sit in your brain and speak. But it should be more of a, also a life breakthrough, like yeah. because this is our life. And yep. like, yes, you could say like career, but what do we really have outside of it? You know, yeah. like no, you're right. Yeah, you're, right. you're correct. Absolutely. And, and I mean, well, I'm glad that you could come on here and you and just the idea. God, I mean, it's so different for so many different people. It's the idea that just to finish a 40 minute conversation mm-hmm. is uh, exuberance and uh, you know relief. Yeah. Uh, and so you know maybe just the conversation of us just sitting around and talking. I guess that shows where I'm at. You know, so many people it comes naturally to them. Right. But to me, to me, I guess it's this rejection or this failure complex where, whereby, whenever I think of something, I'll I'll think of 
I think of failure and it's not going to go right rather than I'll think, you know, this is going to go awesome and I'm going to kill it, you know? Have you ever talked to anybody about this? Is yeah. this the first? It is. Yeah. Is this too honest? No, it's great. Yeah, I mean, I but don't, I don't want to be fake doctor. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, but I, I do feel that, and one thing I love, it's almost as lame, you know, it makes me sound like a pussy. And one thing I love about just wrestling locker rooms is when you find your real buddies and you find your real friends is you do, you you feel, uh, you know, in front of a, a punk or generic or, or Steen or whatever, I, I can tell them my re stuff that I've held in for almost years. Yeah. And I can say to them, and sometimes I just slip it out. Like, Oh, I do this and, and, and see if they are like, can relate with me yeah. or if they make fun of me. Yeah. And for the most part, it's, they don't make fun of me. And they're like, and then we start a conversation, and then all of a sudden, all my fears and all and all or all my problems. Now we're conversing and we're sharing stories, and and you know he's sharing a story. Let's say if, uh, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know, and even to get in real fucking horrible material, you know, like sexually, if we talk about sexual experiences, yep. and I maybe I have a problem or I have a fear of that, and I talk to you know like uh, one of the boys, and then and I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna hate me or judge me or think I'm an idiot, and then they start talking about. It. Now all of a sudden we have this whole bond and this whole conversation. That, that's like human nature. Right? Yeah, you share your problems, and you find that when you do share your problems, these are problems that everybody has. Right, but because we have these insecurities and. We were nervous, you know. We, we keep these things to ourselves, and we, we these things are amplified in our head, and we think it's like just us, and we're yeah. weird. And like, but everybody feels like but that, this. and that's why I'm gr I'm glad that you came and said this. And I think, you know, a as you find your wrestling peers, and please, to me, whatever you know, or whatever you want, this the idea of rejection, it's real, and especially, especially, I, I'd say everywhere because ind especially independent wrestling, because like you said, like it's not like. It's all, I almost feel like in WWE, if you get rejected there, then you can go to independent wrestling. But where do you go after independent wrestling? Yeah. yeah. Right. And that is so real, not just for you, but for, for all of us. Yeah. And even in WWE, those guys feel that. And I have friends that were up there and that got, you know, yeah. and they have nowhere to go and they don't yeah. know, understand independent wrestling. That's all they know. And also there's a side of it whereby it's so hard. Like I said, it's so hard to make a living in this this business, this independent wrestling, this, this side of things. And I almost feel... I should be very grateful for my spot in Dragon Gate because I'm sure there's there's many, many wrestlers out there who would love to be in the position that I'm in. So why should I aspire for more when I'm when I have such a awesome position where I'm at? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I I, I also wanna then bring it back to like and I've seen it firsthand with punk and so I won't use punk as an example, but let's say John Cena, like you probably think He's number one. He's made it to where he's at. I yep. bet you he has fears. Like you know what I'm saying. Like if you to, to you, I, have you ever met John Cena? I haven't. No. He's, he's probably just some dude that you think about who dominates wrestling and like yep. he's almost on a pedestal. Yeah. But if you really think about it, and fucking Hulk Hogan, you know Hulk Hogan has like with his wife and his kids and his son fucking doing what he did to like. Think about the real and he puts on a show and like you said, you were like, well, I I don't know if I should. You know, show really feelings because I want to be held in the light of a superstar. It's yeah. But the Hulkster puts on a show. But you know, if it's just as a fan, if I just saw some real true feelings, I feel like I'd be drawn much more to Hulk, and I'd be yeah. more willing to support him in his career. At, at this point, he's just a dude with fake silk hair, yeah, and a you know, and a and a and a bleached mustache almost. I guess it comes down to everybody has these insecurities and these fears, but some people deal with it better than right. others, and. 
as of maybe I haven't been dealing with the best way. I've kind of been just keeping myself to myself and not, not again to use the same expression, but not rocking the boat. You know. Yeah. But you will get rejected. Absolutely. Yeah, know that. And that's something I need to learn right. to deal with. Yeah, I guess. I guess, uh, like I said, you know, of this idea of like you should you should keep this to yourself because we, we, we try to be these stars. You know, we try to be presenting these stars. And how can someone see somebody as this almost this superstar? This almost, you know, this 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 guy when he has all these human emotions and these human insecurities, and I almost feel like I should keep this to myself. And it's not. It's not. It's not the done thing to right. to let everybody know but, about this. I mean, and then this is, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a mistake. I don't think so at all. And I know, you know, people will reach out to you for this reason alone. I guarantee you. I mean, this this is just me right now. This is this is who I am. Right. And uh, you know, before we did this podcast and before before we had that conversation, I would never dream of doing this on a public forum. But you know. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> like you're someone, obviously, I looked up to and respect very much. And and you said maybe this is this is how it should be. You know, the business has changed, and right. maybe maybe people people can relate to the human side of me rather than just the whatever I do in mm-hmm. the ring or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I do. I think it's changing, and I think that's important. Um, again, you know. Vince holds all the cards or whatever in terms of that, but yeah. it doesn't mean you know he. That doesn't mean guys in different aspects of wrestling can't be successful with with how they perceive how it should be. And we're doing a good. And like, listen, I, you know, I have my little niche here. You have your fucking and how you perform and whatever. But so I, I think we we need to reach you out to more of the people. I well, think we're going to get you a Twitter account. This uh, is the goal of this. Absolutely. This is this is this is the turning point in my yes. life. <laughs> you know. This, yes. is when, this is when uh, Pac stops being such a little bitch. Nah, <laughs> man. But you're almost you're in a almost like in a shell in an industry that wants you to come out. Yeah, and no one's gonna no. harp on you for it. I and hope not. I hope this. I, I hope this isn't a mistake. But at the end of the day, this is just me being honest. And yeah. If if people hate it, you know, like. Not at all. I Not at all. It is what it is, and I can't change that. You know? <laughs> Good. Yes, that's and that's what we should embrace. Yeah. You. You know. You. You are you. That's what we're selling. We're selling you. Yeah. And and I think people will love it. So we're, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get you a Twitter. Yep. I'm gonna come back at the end of this once we we put it up and we'll say what it is and everyone should follow him and tell Paco not how awesome he is but maybe that you want to hear stories of people having the same fears and like this is how you make connections with people. It's interesting, you know, and you only live once, so. You know, to learn from other people's experience is so important. And, yeah, I guess this is me, so, you know, it is what like All I right. Said, do you feel a little more is. off your chest now? I do, and I feel so much more comfortable talking to you now than when we originally started right. the podcast. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up because it's not getting any less windy out here. Fucking fuck. I'm in this kind of, like, industrial park sort of area. I have to go do some some light shopping. But man, this area of Toronto, I'm in, it's total car culture. Like, there's a fucking second cup coffee shop. It's kind of like a Canadian version of Starbucks. That is a drive-thru, for fuck's sake. Cars, blah. I don't like it, but yeah, it makes it all these big box stores. This big, weird, wide-open expanse. That's why the wind is so bad here. Because it's been strip-mined for you car-driving fuckfaces. All right, we're going to end off with another story from Kevin Steen. And this is about how his, uh, his Twitter handle 
used to be Killstein Kill. And he had a Killstein Kill t-shirt that was a big seller. And he's just talking about why he decided to move away from that little catchphrase. He changed it to Fight Steen Fight. And I kind of like this, because it is like a nice little example of like a maturing, of growing up, of like... Like, that sounds cool when you're in your 20s, and then once you get to be in your 30s, you're like, what am I even saying? What in the fuck? And it's not gone entirely, like now that he's named Kevin Owens, people chant, fight, Owens, fight! And then as a match goes on and on and on, and he's really just getting, you know, much more brutal with people, then they switch, the crowd switches to kill, Owens, kill! And I mean, that's kind of neat. And I like that kind of awareness in a crowd. Like, they know, they know the rhythms, they know the game, they know the, the show they're watching. You don't come out of the gate with a kill, Owens, kill. You work up to it. But as a, as a branding, as a, just a way of presenting himself from the get-go, he's like, no, I don't think Killstein Kill is what I want to do. So it's kind of a cool little story. That's going to wrap this up. Thanks for listening. There'll be a new episode next Monday at KeithCourage.com. And I'll see you then. So one final question, and it's a little bit of a serious one, because I want to ask, I know that you, re- you changed your Twitter handle from Killstein Kill to Fightstein. I think it's Fightstein yeah. Fight now. Yeah. And I, I, I sort of know the reason, but for those who might not know, why don't you talk a little bit about why you changed your Twitter handle? Because I, I think this is a really good story. Yeah, um, I think I mentioned it on the, that, the shoot with Davey, didn't I? Uh, basically what happened was there was the shooting in Connecticut there in the school and, um, you know, was, everybody felt the same way about it. It's incredibly disheartening and just gut-wrenching and how can shit like that happen? Uh, and that's when it started, you know, dawning on me that that word kill, you know, it's kind of thrown around maybe a little too loosely and, um, you know, in a weird way it worked for me. Fans liked it, and it really caught on. But uh, and you know, nobody ever expected me to kill anybody. But it was just a thing I said, and it caught on. I mean, originally it was literally just a Twitter handle, and people started chanting it. So it's not like I was using it. It just you know, fans brand like fans kind of rolled with it, and it was it was good. And uh, you know, it sold a lot of T-shirts, which was great for me. And uh, you know, it it was you know it was uh, it worked for me. But like I said, when that happened. You know, uh, I was pretty hard. And then I remember after final battle, after that ladder match I had with Generico, uh, I was really sick the next day. Like that day, I started, I came down with the flu. Like I, I, I barely made it through the match. And then the next day, I, w- I got home. I was laying in bed all day, just sick as hell. And I was watching coverage from, you know, the shooting and on CNN and whatever. And then I remembered um, a f- like a year or two before that, I got a, uh, a Twitter message with, uh, or maybe an email, and all it was was a, a link to a video on YouTube, and I clicked it, and uh, I think the video, like the, the description of the video was just something like, this is for Kevin Steen or something like that, and the video basically opened, I, I, this is what I remember of it, it was, and it might not be exactly what the actual video was, but this is what I remember in my head for some reason, because I only watched it once, and that was good enough for me. Um, the video opened in black and white on, uh, it was a couch or a chair, and my music started playing, my theme music, Unsettling Differences by Blue Smock Nancy. They, uh, they made that song for me. 
the song plays for a couple seconds, and then this guy, shirtless, I believe, uh, just kind of normal-looking guy, sits down on the chair or the couch, whatever, and uh, he's looking at the camera, and then I don't remember if he tries, he starts hitting himself with something or just literally just starts cutting his forehead with something. But he does something that leads to him bleeding while he's staring at the camera all, like, maniacal while my music's playing. And the description, this is for Kevin Steen. Like some sort of weird tribute to me. And then I realized, you know, uh, what if one of these fucks one day just fucking walks into a store with my shirt on and kills somebody? You know what I mean? Like, I would never be able to live with that. And I just kind of realized, you know, I think it's time to move away from this uh, for all these reasons. So that's, uh, you know, the, 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 the shooting in Connecticut was a big part of it. And then me remembering that video and just seeing that, you know, we never know how we're affecting people out there. And I definitely don't want to affect people in a way that could be negative and lead to something really bad. I felt like it was time to move away from it. And if anything, fights team fights, some people might say, well, you you know, you're encouraging violence, but I think I'm encouraging just busting your ass and never giving up uh, in a different way. Obviously, fights team fight, uh, you know, when I'm in my matches, it's more of a fight than a wrestling match every time, so I feel it fits well and it works good, but I feel it's, uh, it carries a very different tone than kill team kill, and I think it was just time to move away from it. And I've actually had people tell me, well, why would you do that? I don't get it. I understand the thing about the shooting, but I think it's stupid. People die from fights, too. And I think uh, whoever's saying this is missing the point completely. Um, and that's it, you know. I, I was actually asked, like, can, so many times, can you make more Kill Steam Kill shirts? Is there ever going to be another Kill Steam Kill shirt? Just, you know, just do it. It'll be fine. And I don't. I just don't want to. I'm, I'm done with it. And you can agree or disagree, but either way, it's not going to change my decision because I feel like that's the right thing to do. So there you go. I think I think that's a very fair position, and I think you've articulated it well. So I don't think. Er trägt nicht, wieso er büßt, wieso er müsst Es wäre es nicht, wo ihm das Leben versüßt Schon bei Geburt verspätet und das Kind verspottet Er denkt nach, was er nur verbockt hat Und umgerechnet dann, wenn er nicht damit gerechnet hat Der Film gehört und das Blatt gewendet Er hat zum Leben gedacht Le temps passe, il prend das Bussage dans son discours Retour vers le futur Il se remet à croire en la vie, l'amour Er voit autrement la mort par son chemin Quand on veut le tirer en dehors du jour Au lendemain, c'est le résultat d'une prière Il reprend ses cartes en main, voit l'horizon jusqu'à Jusqu'à la mer du jour, au lendemain, est-ce que le résultat d'une prière c'était maintenant ou jamais On tient pas compte d'hier. C'est un miracle, est-ce qu'on te dit que c'est vrai hey. C'est un miracle, est-ce qu'on te dit que c'est vrai hey. C'est un miracle, c'est vrai, c'est un miracle. Hey. Voyez noir qui fonde ses yeux rouges, il voulait l'or et pas simplement que ça bouge, mais qu'aurait tué un pote juste pour pas rester sur la touche. À croire les morts qui sortaient de sa bouche Un barge en marge mais si proche de tout, de tout.